Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. There are so many different ways a person might be toxic. And the best kind of universal indicator is probably your feeling within yourself. Welcome to Figuring Out 30. This is a podcast exploring the chaos, confusion, and clarity that comes with life in our 30s. I'm Bridget Hustwait, and hey, I want to ask you, how are your friendships going? Have you ever paused to reflect on how you might be managing your friendships as an adult? Because these connections are obviously so important in our lives, but I feel like we could probably talk about them more. We're so often fixated on romantic relationships and family dynamic. But um, we don't really take a se- you know take a second to step back and think how are your friendships going and what what are we doing if some of them are fizzling out because that is something that can absolutely happen. It is very common, you know. Friendships come and go. We make so many friends throughout the course of our life, and some of them come in with different. I guess, changes in in our lives, whether that's changing jobs, moving to a different city, uh, being in a new romantic relationship or starting a family, settling down, traveling, all of this kind of stuff. And we know romantic breakups can be painful, but so can friendship breakups, friend splits, you know, they can be icky, they can be awkward. And I've definitely noticed myself drifting from friends. And also since turning 30, I know I've had one friendship end, which Okay, so fine with. But yeah, this decade of life, it can bring about more rapid changes in terms of friendships. So I wanted to explore that a bit in this episode. And joining me to do so is Dr. Hannah Coral, who is a clinical neuropsychologist and the author of How to Break Up with Friends. She has spent a lot of time exploring this topic and yeah, has some awesome insights on what are the signs of a toxic friendship or a crappy companion. Also love how she likens friendships to the solar system. You'll hear more about that analogy. We talk about adjusting effort levels, what friendship real estate means, the importance of asserting yourself as well. There's a lot of ground covered. So let's just get straight into it. Hannah, thank you for joining me to chat about, I guess, yeah, friendships and how they can fizzle out in adulthood because there's so much to unpack here. And I think this is probably a topic that we tend to um, avoid as adults. I'm keen to hear from your observations in practice, uh, like how does adulthood actually affect the way in which we do approach and manage friendships? Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Bridget. I'm really excited to be part of figuring out 30. I don't know if I figured it out yet. Really great question to start off the bat. Like how do, how do we know how to enter, enter adulthood? What does the science tell us about entering this new phase of your life? Um, and the literature talks about this idea called didactic withdrawals. And that's just a really fancy word for energy shifts. So the energy that is going into your identity, didactic energy, 
going into an identity of who you are changes throughout the life course. So when you're, you know, one to 10 years old, you're a child, you have a particular identity. When you're a teenager, you have a particular identity. When you go to uni, you have a particular identity. And then when you transition into other parts of life, like business, university, having a family and whatever other adult things that we do, uh, our identity is changing as well. And the energy that's required for those pursuits is is different. So you're not going to have as much time or as, as much energy for going and having margaritas down at the bar every Friday when you have two kids and business to run. Okay. So you have to change your identity. You have to change your energy. And they call that didactic withdrawals. And it's, it's this phenomenon to describe how sometimes it is really hard to put energy from one aspect of your life into another aspect of your life. And the very real feeling of a shift and a change in who you are and who you can prioritize. So if you're, I think what you're kind of honing in on that question is, oh my gosh, it's hard being an adult and I feel like it's difficult managing all these different parts of my life. And it's real and it's true and it's absolutely valid that that feeling and perception is something we study and is very real. Yeah, it's so interesting because as you said, like as we we take on these extra r- responsibilities and juggling acts of sort, but when we think about friendships, I feel like we um, have this we feel like we do have this obligation to hold on to every single friendship. And it's so funny because I don't think we maybe approach other things in that kind of manner, but we tend to forget that as you do go through these phases that, you know, friends come and go and you can choose, you you choose to start your friendships and you can also choose to end them. But we seem to have a hard time with ending them. And it seems to be harder (laughs) as adults. Like why are we so afraid to let go? Do you think? Oh, hot guilt and shame. (laughs) I say it's a hot feeling because it's like a real, it's a dirty feeling. It's a filling. It fills your chest. It goes up your throat. You feel sick and icky. It's an icky feeling. Um, And I think we're really good in society at placing like expectations on ourselves, telling ourselves we need to be perfect and telling ourselves we have to be giving, giving, giving all the time. Sometimes it's better to think about friendships more Mm. like a solar system and your planets orbiting around in a solar system. And at one point when your seasons are similar, you are going to orbit close with another person, another planet, and you're going to align because those factors in your life are similar. So when we're all at uni, we made really good bonds because we were all going to the same classes. We all needed to eat in the same place. We all had the same pastimes. But when somebody graduated and shifted into a different aspect of life, like family, children, business, and somebody else decided to do postgraduate studies, for example, our orbits kind of went a little further away from each other and we had less time, less communal activities that we happened to be in the same place at the same time to actually engage with one another. And you're rather time poor, you know, in terms of your you know, your real estate in your brain and how much space you can take up in your brain for energy for friendships. And also literally in terms of time, (laughs) you only have so much time in a day. When you have friends who overlap with your schedule, of course, you're going to spend more time with them. And naturally as part of life, when we go down separate paths, we may spend less time together. And that's something that I think can cause a lot of guilt, especially if you're the kind of person who goes into the fawn response in, you know, fight, flight, freeze and fawn that people pleasing I need to help everyone I need to do the right thing for everyone I need to put everyone before myself it's super common it's super common having especially for women too right 
I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> I'll say it. <laughs> but I was like, yep, this we could go down the gender path as well. I think that women also have a lot of expectations placed on them to be that martyr, to be the person. It's very altruistic to put others first, to put other people's needs before your own. So we get that hot shame and guilt when we feel like we've let someone down and we reflect on our friendships and go, I haven't called them. I haven't organized a coffee date. I haven't done these things. But actually when you reflect on it, have, have they reached out as well? Have they done those things for you too? Why are we carrying the guilt and shame exclusively on ourselves? And, and maybe having a little bit more self-compassion to understand. Maybe right now your orbits are just a little further away. Maybe in the future they'll come close again and you'll have more time for each other again. But right now it could be that you just you genuinely don't have the time and the energy for that particular friendship and it's got to go down in the pecking order and your priorities and that's mm. you surviving in your life or the way your life currently is. I love looking at it like a solar system. I think that's such a easy, cool way to approach it and when you mentioned the orbiting, I want to touch on real estate in a minute because that word popped up and I've seen you write about um, friend, friendship real estate but just going back to the, um, to the orbit situation and acknowledging that sometimes you may not be yeah, in the same uh yeah orbit or whatever with someone else so when do you know when to just like accept that and put it on the shelf or when do you know you need to cut that friendship so like what are what are the signs between a friendship just drifting uh, in a moment or a friendship as you call it <laughs> I mean if I would carry on the solar system analogy for a bit longer um I suppose it's when is it a planet that we're just coming in and out of our orbit together and when is it a black hole that's sucking you dry <laughs> <laughs> dementor like harry potter a fiery hot sun that's blasting you um so look i think you know we could talk and talk and talk about all the signs that tell you that someone is toxic in your life um and there are lots of different signs and ways you know we have coercive control we have manipulation we have gaslighting there are so many different ways a person that might be toxic um, and the best kind of universal indicator, umbrella, the thing that the very top of the everything falls under this umbrella of a toxic friend, but the best signpost is probably your feeling within yourself, okay? That, that's the key. When you walk out of the interaction, do you feel worse than before you entered the interaction? You know, in the lead up to the interaction, do you feel that sense of dread, that anticipation, that angst? Um, about going into the interaction. You're not sure what you're going to get. You're not sure how they're going to be, Jekyll or Hyde. What, am, what version of them am I going to get today? Um, and, and walking away, just feeling worse than before you entered it. We, we shouldn't really be entering and leaving friendships or experiences and interactions with friends feeling shitter. So, you know, it's, it's that, that red flag within yourself. I feel worse. I feel exhausted I feel depleted I feel sadder I feel bullied you know I'm lying in bed awake at night after the interaction for days thinking back through the conversation and the shitty little passive aggressive comments that were made or the slights that were sort of these these almost undetectable passive aggressive comments that I then find myself replaying in my head or overtly aggressive comments that are just downright bullying where I was the butt of the joke or I was taken advantage in some way, whether it was financially, I had to pay the bill, even though I didn't order those things, whether it was time-wise, you know, they showed up 30 minutes late, they didn't even apologize. 
energy you know I'm the one who had to drive all the way across town to come and see them and they didn't put any effort into organizing or helping me organize and you just walk away feeling kind of used used and abused and taken for granted yeah and we so often think that it's you know friendships we go into it like you know it's a give but it has to be a balance we tend to forget that it's you know it has to be give and take too Mm, yeah and I talk about that a bit well a lot in the book but it it is about understanding I think we have a really poor understanding of what is a friendship and what is a friendship supposed to be and in society we're really really good at uh playing this altruism card you know being the hero being altruistic means somebody who gives and expects nothing in return and that's a really beautiful concept like giving and expecting nothing in return and that's so like yeah altruistic of you however because we're human beings and we're real people, it's it's a recipe for feeling resentful and taken for granted because in any relationship, giving, giving one way, giving, giving, giving one way is actually a parasitic relationship. <laughs> it's the definition of a parasite, something that's sucking your energy out and it's parasitic. It's only going one way and it's giving nothing back. Um, and reciprocation is not something I think we talk about with friendships it's important and normal in a relationship in a friendship to give something and to receive something in return and the things that we're talking about with receiving I mean I can feel when I talk about receiving in a relationship I feel like the collective you know orifices of the audience like just suddenly tightening as everyone's like (gasps) selfish this unselfish expecting to receive something and like hold on to your horses for one second I'm not talking about like asking that person to fly to Fiji for you know for you for tea with you I'm talking about really basic things that's trust respect affection support those are not groundbreaking topics they're very basic concepts in a relationship do can you trust them do you trust them Are they trustworthy or do they break your trust? Do they take information that you've given them confidentially confidentially, Mm -hmm. and do they break it? Do they support you? Are they a supportive person or do they undermine you? Are they the kind of person who actively undermines you, discourages you from growth, um, makes aggressive or passive-aggressive comments when you try to better yourself or engage in something? Are they affectionate? Do they, do they, does it feel like they like spending time with you? Do you feel like they like you? And the last one is respect. And I think this is the, the tricky one because you can have a friendship that's trusting, supportive and affectionate. You can have those things but lack respect for a person. So someone, you might know, tell them your secret, tell them what's going on. They might support you and they're there to listen. They're there for the catch-up. They might be super affectionate and loving but they may ultimately not respect you as a person and there's that disparity between values and they in a way what what it boils down to is is thinking you're better than someone else thinking that you're smarter thinking that you're fitter thinking that you make better decisions thinking in some way you're better than another person um and the decisions that they've made in their life are beneath you and that kind of is a bit insidious and it radiates out in this insidious way and, and it kind of permeates interactions. And it's what leads us to feel like someone is judging, judging us and, and judging our choices and our decisions in our life. Um, and that's can, that can really lend itself to quite a toxic, a toxic element in the friendship or in the relationship. So when we do go about 
you know, making the decision to cut a friendship, how the fuck do you do it? I know. And you can almost like vicariously, we can all feel ourselves like, like tightening up a bit, the chest tightens up the breath is a bit more shallow even just as we're talking about this well actually before we yeah when you're speaking of all this physical stuff let's quickly go into that like the physical signs like the physical effects of a toxic friendship because you've touched on that the effect on your body that's a thing it's actually insane I'm surprised it's not more popular in media there's literature that has shown the longitudinal effect which means the long-term effect of being exposed to a strained friendship. So this was specifically looking at friendship. So it wasn't family, it wasn't work colleagues, it was friends and a strained friendship where, you know, toxic friendship effectively, somebody who wasn't really a friend, um, they found that the, the effects on your health were the same as or on par with the health effects of long-term obesity and smoking on your health, your cardiovascular system. And it had an impact on your mortality. So it changes the length of your life to be chronically exposed to these stressful influences on your life. Um, And when you think about your brain, we know the part of your brain that lights up when you experience physical pain. So if somebody broke their arm, this part of your brain is called the anterior cingulate gyrus. It would light up with that pain. And the same part of your brain lights up when you have emotional pain. So a rejection, a heartbreak, a bully, uh, somebody saying something awful to you. The same part of your brain is lighting up for physical and emotional pain, which is telling us scientifically they're just as valid as each other. But in society, we really do not place the same value on physical pain with emotional pain. Physical pain is visible. Um, you can see it, you can touch it, it's more tangible and people tend to respect it. We have rehabilitation for physical pain. Emotional pain is invisible. You cannot see the depths of it and the extent of it and it's very stigmatized. You know, we have, we're getting better, but it is still very stigmatized to say, I'm seeing a psychologist, I have depression, I have anxiety or I'm dumping a friend because they're toxic. When we talk about how we, we do that, it, do we always have to be completely transparent and straightforward in communicating this is why I want to cut the friendship or because I guess it's a case-by-case thing and also dependent on like I had a bunch of questions come in from listeners and one was like how am I meant to do this when I know they're gonna take it in a really bad way and be attackive like again yeah acknowledging that it is case by case but is there some sort of general advice as to how people can navigate Yeah. yeah initiating the end of a friendship yeah, definitely, Bridget. And I, I go kind of into detail in this in the book about how to balance this, the steps leading up to that point, examples of what to say, where to do it, things like that. Um, I think that the important thing to recognize is firstly, you know, don't do anything in the heat of the moment because that tends to be when we get in hot water. So, you know, the times we might want to break up with a friend is we've had a few drinks, we're out at night, they've just done this done or said the the toxic thing again and we get fired up after we've learned our assertiveness skills we've listened to the podcast and like that's it but really we want to kind of get to the middle ground which is that healthy middle wise mind we call it the wise mind because it's the one that thinks things through doesn't react in the heat of the moment is rational and reasonable um and doesn't get itself in hot water by by sort of overreacting and not thinking things through so that's my my first piece of advice my second bit of advice is yes there is a spectrum you're quite right there is a spectrum of uh i suppose toxicity 
and also danger, I guess. You know, there's one end, you know, you might have that passive aggressive person who does maybe relatively benign things that are just irksome or rude or not taking you into consideration, always late, that kind of thing. Um, And then the other end of the spectrum might be someone who is just a bully and they're really aggressive. And as you say, your listener said, I know this person's going to take it really poorly and they're the kind of person who might start screaming and yelling at me or making me feel intimidated and scared. And there is a spectrum there and it's important to make sure that you take care of your safety and that you feel safe. And it's okay for you to do things that make you feel safe. You don't owe anyone anything. And there's a good acronym, it's called JADE, um, which is helpful when when we're thinking about these things. You don't need to J, justify yourself. You don't need to, A, argue with anyone. D, you do not need to defend yourself. And E, you do not need to explain yourself. You don't actually owe people those things. That's what we feel like we owe people. But you don't actually have to do those things, um, especially if you feel unsafe and bullied. So on that spectrum of appropriate behavior, I would say if you are feeling intimidated, if you are feeling unsafe, if you feel, you know, uncomfortable or or even especially if you feel physically intimidated by somebody, remember that JADE acronym. You do not have to justify, get into an argument, defend yourself or explain yourself. You do not owe anyone an explanation as to why you're cutting off the friendship. All right, so that's one end of the spectrum. Moving kind of towards the more um, acceptable, like they're not bullies necessarily, they're not... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So they're not, they're not, there's not a, a, a safety factor and it's just uncomfortable and a bit icky feeling. Those are when we maybe want to have, we might have a bit more of an explanation. We might have a bit more of a, you know, discussion with a person. And in the book, I talk a lot about what you do in the lead up to a breakup and hopefully well before the breakup, you've, you've said, you've communicated, this is the issue. This is what's going on. This is what I need from you in the future to, to work on this. And a lot of people are too worried about communicating that issue. But assuming you've done all those things and you've communicated, listen, when you call me an idiot, it really hurts my feelings. I need you to not call me an idiot anymore when we're out. I don't want you to make me the butt of the joke. And then if they do it again, you know, look, I told you not to do that. And I'm going to leave now because you made me uncomfortable. And then if they do it again, that's when we're seeing, okay, I need to, I've set my boundary and now I need to action my boundary. And again, I think for me, I talk about this in the book, you, you can you can see a person and do it face-to-face. I would always recommend a neutral location, like not their house, not your house, like maybe a cafe, maybe a walk, somewhere where you feel safe um, and you have your own way of getting there and getting home. Don't, don't share a car. No, awkward. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also am a big fan of, of, you know, the written, the written message. So that's, that's, you know, I think people frown upon the idea of sending a text message or sending a written message because it 
perhaps in uh, when text message first started, it was seen as a really cringy thing to do. You know, remember Carrie on Sex Sex in the City and she got broken up with a post-it note. She was so upset about it, right? But it's got that stigma to it. But I do think it's, it is important to respect your comfort levels and to just to know within yourself, like, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm finding this really intimidating. I'm finding this really scary. I'm going to carefully and thoughtfully write down my, my experiences, my thoughts about what I want to do here. Hi, hi, whoever it is. Listen, I need to tell you something important. I've been having a lot of thinking about our relationship and I'm not going to be able to keep putting in the same level of effort that I have in the past. Or it might be, I'm not going to be able to see you again. I've thought about this long and hard. I'm not going to go into my explanation now. Maybe in the future, I might be able to talk about this. But right now for my mental health, I really just need to to park this. And I'm not going to be able to chat with you or communicate with you for a while. Or again, whatever it is for you, your particular situation. And you can own that. You can add a caveat and say, I'm sorry I didn't do this face to face. My mental health wasn't in a place where I could do this face to face. And that's why I've sent it to you in writing. Yeah, it's like a more thoughtful articulation that you feel it would get across in a better way that they could hopefully understand yeah. a bit, you know, clearer. Yeah, just I think it's just about owning it. Just own it. If you don't feel comfortable and you don't feel safe doing it face to face, you don't have to. You don't mm. have to. So, so that's kind of one option. There are different options, and I talk about that this in the book. Some of them are the direct and overt breakup with a message, um, and others are the readjustment of your effort levels, readjusting the effort levels, which may mean, you know, I've decided within myself that I'm going to change the dynamic of this friendship. I'm going to break up with them in my mind, which might not involve a direct message. It might be that I just don't put in the same level of effort that I was before. I'm putting in the same level that they're putting in, which might be very little, or I'm putting in um, only perfunctory effort. So I'll see you when we go to that friend group reunion and I'll see you when we go to our mutual friend's wedding and I'm going to be polite. I'm going to be cordial with you. I'm going to hold myself with integrity and I'm going to speak to you kindly and nicely, but no, I'm not going to make go out of my way to go and see you, you know, for the coffee or go across town for the function for you or whatever it is. And and that's that readjustment of effort levels, which is perfectly reasonable for some friendships as well. Yeah, I love that. I think that's such an important one to highlight. And I think it's a really common one to happen, particularly in our 30s when we do go through all these different, you know, changes, whether that is deciding to settle down or just gun for, you know, a new career or move or just finding, yeah, that maybe you're just not you're not clicking as, as what you used to. So when we like when we make these calls, because I think often we're afraid to let friendships go in our 30s because it is hard to make new ones but of course it's important to remember it's like quality over quantity and also what about becoming like a better friend to ourselves that's something that I really want to hone in on because I think it's something that we um, really don't pay attention to so how can we do that yeah like I I love the concept of self-love I think it's really beautiful and important and it's not something that we're taught in school like how to take care of yourself at all in terms of you know emotionally physically whatever else you know we don't teach those things in school we just have to kind of muddle our way through it and figure it out um and one of the things I, I like in the book is I talk about you know when you when you remove a toxic person out of your life you're making space in your life there's more energy all of a sudden there's more time there's more resources for something else and the first place that that should be is you you 
number one, your number one. You know, you know that saying, put your own oxygen mask on first. Do you know why they say that saying? Why do they say that? Well, because we can't help someone else if we're friggin' not breathing, right? <laughs> I always get that answer. I always get that answer. You know what answer I never get? Oh, what? So you stay alive. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> oh, I've immediately gone to like helping someone else. You but, like, stay yeah. alive. You deserve yeah. in your own right, not relative to what you give someone else. You deserve space on this earth. You deserve to exist. You deserve to come first. And it's not about being selfish. That's not the same thing as prioritizing yourself, having assertiveness skills. We often confuse that with being selfish because, especially if we're female, you know, self autonomy and caring for others are so muddied and tangled together and weave like a disgusting thicket mess. And it's okay for us to separate the concept of taking care of yourself and putting yourself first. And not being brainwashed into thinking that that means you're selfish because you're not selfish. Um, and so many women have this, you know, this issue to the point that I literally made an app called Assert Yourself from my sister's experience of, of being too scared when she had children to ask the nurse or ask the doctor, hang on a minute, wait, what are you doing exactly? What are you doing to my child exactly? Because we're so trained and ingrained and conditioned to give, 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 never rock the boat, don't don't make a fuss. Um, and it's so innate now to the point that I'll ask a question, why do you why do they say put your own oxygen mask on first? And everyone's first answer is to save other people. So you can save other people. You you are not your value is not relative to what you give other people. You as a person are yourself valuable. And another great way of conceptualizing that is like with virginity, you know, women's value used to be really wrapped up in their virginity and unless you were a virgin you were no good right it's kind of paralleling your value as a human being is not relative to what you give other people you yourself a woman herself can be valuable irrespective of her virginity you yourself can be valuable irrespective of what you give to other people those are two separate things you are allowed to care for yourself and take care of yourself give yourself time, prioritize yourself, make you the first person who gets your money. Make you the first person who gets your time. Make you the first person who gets your energy. And that might be doing a hobby that you love. That might be taking that extra time to go and do that class you've always wanted, learn that skill you've always wanted to learn, do that thing that you've always been interested in doing but haven't had time because you give all your time to other people. Can you identify what you want. And sometimes it's hard to hear that little voice because it's a bit of a whisper and it's deep down and it whispers really quietly and it gets drowned out by the loud screams and shouts of anxiety and stress and pressure. What do I want to do? Learning to recognize what I want to do. Exercise that muscle of hearing that voice and then we can start to implement that because we start to value ourselves and I'd say if anything has resonated with anyone who's listening, I recommend, you know, fleshing this out more. Go and talk to a psychologist. It's it's part of our Medicare rebates to be able to speak to a psychologist. And they're so helpful in unpacking where we have learned these skills, where we've been brainwashed, what are our core beliefs and how to how to prioritize ourselves a bit more and not feel selfish about that. 
it's amazing how bad we are at prioritizing ourselves given like we need to remember that the longest relationship that we will ever have is the one that we have with ourselves and we don't do enough to kind of nurture that to you know to feed it and um really like I I love yeah the going to see a psychologist just that little service for your brain like I remember someone saying to me it's you know like when um it's like a car service, but you go do it for your mind. And it's just such a great way of looking at it. (laughs) The mind, it's the mind gym. I love it. Before we wrap up though, two things. One, I want to, I almost forgot, but the word friendship real estate, um, because when we talk about like ending relationships and making that space. So what do we mean by friendship real estate? Like how that's in our mind or whatever. Well, you can think about it in terms of two values. So one is your cognitive real estate in your brain and they theorists in the area of relationships and your brain think that you only have so much cognitive real estate in your brain for complex relationships. So there's a there's a theorist Robin Dunbar who came up with this Dunbar number, which is the number of people that you can hold in your brain at a certain level of intimacy. So really intimate relationships are really complex. We all know that. I mean, oh my God, have you ever had a fight with your boyfriend or your sister? Like, are complicated. (laughs) And understandably, they take a lot of room in your brain. And the more complex the relationship, the fewer number of those relationships you can maintain in your brain and in your life. Because it takes a lot of time to be intimate. It takes a lot of time to know a person that well. You need to physically spend a lot of time with them. There's only so much time in the day and there's only so much room in your brain. Now, the less intimate the relationship, the more people your brain can handle at that level. So it goes sort of five really, really, really super duper close relationships. People you see every day, about five. Think of like your partner, your parents, your, your siblings, your children, your best, 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 best mate. And then the next level is like like friends, more not as close as your intimate five, but friends, and that's somewhere somewhere like ten to fifteen. And then you go out again to things like less close friends and acquaintances. And the further you go out, the more people you can handle on that level. So people who say they have oodles and oodles and oodles and oodles of friends probably aren't super duper close with those people because you simply lack unless of course they didn't have a job or have to go to school and they spent their entire day just developing relationships mm-hmm. for an hour for every single person but again you know how deep is the relationship if you're spanning it it's diluted across 200 different people it's just not possible for you yeah. to handle that complexity so you know, I think the beautiful thing about that literature is it really sort of speaks to the fact that it's not about how many friends you have it's about the quality of those friendships and it's okay to take the pressure off yourself to be this person who has oodles of friends like you it's not like facebook bloody facebook bloody instagram how many likes have you got how many people are all full twang it doesn't mean anything anybody anyway we all know people who hit yes to going to the the event don't even come so (laughs) don't worry about it don't let it stress you out Mm-hmm. media thing that has been trained into us to get us to buy stuff okay it's not about having oodles of friends you don't need to have oodles of friends your brain wasn't designed to have oodles of friends and you only need one really 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 good friend to reap the benefits physiologically to your body of having a good friend 
So take that pressure right off yourself. Quality over quantity, 100%. I've had um, a few people send in some questions and reflections of their own experiences. So I might just quickly run through a few of them um, that you might be able to comment on or even I think there's a few questions. Well, someone actually said like, when do you remove them from social media if the friendship has run its course? I mean, again, case by case, whenever you feel is appropriate, like, but people do really like invest, you know, that's a big part of ending a friendship for some people is actually removing them from your feed. (laughs) I feel like I know the answer to that because you're right. There are some benign friends where we just remove the effort um, and it's okay to have them on our social media. But I feel like the answer is when you are looking up their Facebook profile or their Instagram profile and you're comparing yourself and you feel that it's almost like an addiction, you have to check in on what they're doing through the photos, comparing yourself. And invariably when you close the profile, it follows you for the rest of the day and you're thinking about it and it, it hangs on you and it weighs on you. That's probably when you need to remove them from your social social media. Someone else said, uh, I feel like every year my friends change with changing jobs, finishing uni. Is that normal? Am I the problem? Lol. I mean, I don't think they're the problem. I think that's a natural thing, but what would you say? Hard to say. That's difficult to say because they're, they're, you might expect some carry through um, with some friends. Like, can you can you call those friends, those people you used to know a year ago, and can you say, hey, I miss you. Do you want to grab a coffee? Hey, I just wanted to call and tell you I was thinking about you. I just want to see how your life is going. If it's a yes, you can call them and there's no bad blood and everything's good, then, yeah, that's just shifting, didactic shifts. It's your orbit. You're, you guys are moving around. All good. No problem. However, if you go, oh, my gosh, no, no, I could never speak to any of those old friends. Like if I bumped into them on the street, I would look away and hope that they didn't talk to me. I couldn't call them. I couldn't ask them for a coffee. We ended badly. Then then if all of those people uh, are a no-go, a no-fly zone, then I would say, yeah, that does sound like something's going on. Like, why did you end the relationship? Did it end badly? What happened there? And there's some room for reflection, whether it be that, you know, we kind of, we're like a magnet that gets attracted to the thing that hurts us because we like familiarity. Us humans, we love familiarity. So we are attracted to the the to the mean relationships that we're used to and we're, we're gravitating towards beliefs and making friends with them and then realizing we can't maintain the friendship. Or it could be that we might be engaging in some unhealthy behaviors, some maladaptive behaviors that we don't even realize that we're doing and we're inadvertently pushing those people away by accident. And the only, you know, the only way we can see that that's happening is to examine ourselves. And it's okay. It's scary. I know it's scary to look inwards and to see, but when you shine a light in the dark, then you can see that that thing you thought was a monster was actually just a pile of your dirty clothes in the corner and it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> you can wash it, you can clean it and you can put it away and we can do something about it. So don't be afraid to do that introspection and that internal work and it's okay to do that. Yeah. Um, and that might help you too because then you might realize, no, it's not me. Something is going on with those people or it is just life. And that's good reassurance to have too. Yeah, that's a great, a great answer. There's another one that actually said, my friend randomly turned around at lunch and said, my therapist says you're a toxic person. Prob's not the best way to maybe, you know, start if that was the end of the friendship. Like, wouldn't you immediately go on the attack? (laughs) Firstly, as a therapist, you don't know that what your client is telling you is the full story. Yeah. Actually, you only get one side of the story. So hold space for yourself in that, like, 
you didn't you didn't send your side of the story to the therapist. The therapist is all about that person for an hour. People do sometimes paraphrase what their therapist says. It might it might be that you know they were f- reflecting on whatever was said, and it, it, it's not necessarily a valid representation of who you are as a person. You're not seeing that psychologist. You cannot diagnose from afar. It just that's not how diagnosis works, and and there is no diagnostic label called toxic person in the you know in our diagnostic statistical manual. There is no diagnosis toxic. Person. So, you know, rest assured, like, you can't diagnose by proxy. Like, there's no ricochet diagnosis. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, there's probably a better way to handle that. And maybe it's an immature attempt by your friend to try to open the conversation to the dynamic of the friendship, which is, you know, can we talk about how we we relate to one another? And that's kind of good in a way. Like, they want to talk about it. They want to work on it. That's great. Not everybody has the skills and the communication skills to do that in a mature way, and we need to be a little patient with them, but we can be honest as well. So it's it's that sincerity, that genuineness of going, hey, when you said that, it really hurt my feelings. You know, it made me feel sad and it made me feel worried that you don't want to be my friend. I would love to work on this. I want to work on being a better friend for you. I want to work on improving our friendship together and being open about where each of us might maybe could have done better and what we can do differently going forward. Is that something that you feel like having like an open and honest conversation about? Hannah, thank you so much for taking time. I found this so fucking insightful and yeah, I really hope people go and read the book and um, get the assertive skills app too, because there's just so much good shit in there. So thank you for taking the time and for not gatekeeping this information. Gosh, no problem, Bridget. I'm so happy to be on Figuring Out 30. It's so awesome. I love it. I love work. I love what you do. And it's I've had the best time. Like I've just had a great time. So hopefully people get something out of it and uh, take care of yourself, everyone. Please, please take care of yourself. If you want to dive a little deeper on fizzling friendships, you can check out Hannah's book, How to Break Up with Friends and her app, Assert Yourself. I've popped the links to both in the show notes of this episode alongside Hannah's Instagram if you want to flick her a follow as well. But thank you so much for listening to Figuring Out 30. I'm Bridget Hustwaite. If you like what you're hearing, please don't forget to flick over a little review or rating and you can share the podcast with anyone that you think may enjoy it. This is a fully independent project. It's created on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and yeah, your support means the world. Hope you can join me next week too. So it's going to continue the conversation of friendships. I'm going to be speaking to Ali Walker on how to make new friendships as an adult. So Ali is a human connection and culture scientist. She's also a senior lecturer at the University of New South Wales. She is an author too. She has presented a keynote at TEDx as well. She's done a lot of work on the topic of human connection and making friends. So it's going to be an awesome part two of this little friendship installment and I can't wait for you to hear it. I'll catch you then. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.